Hello, everyone. I am Mariah Muhammad with Becker's Healthcare. Thank you so much for joining us for this podcast. We are absolutely thrilled to be joined today by Andy Flanagan, CEO of Iris Telehealth. Andy, thank you so much for being here today. How are you? Thank you, Mariah. Wonderful to be together. Yeah, of course. Uh, today, we will discuss integrating behavioral health care at scale and how health systems can set themselves up for long-term success. So with that, let's dive right into our conversation today. So, Andy, what are you hearing from health system leaders as their biggest challenges to providing effective quality behavioral health care to their communities? Yeah, thank you, Mariah. It's a, such a localized question. And whether you're in Manhattan or you're in Visalia, California, you know the answer can seem different. But I would just say that it's not. Uh, the integration of virtual and physical is no longer an option. It's an imperative. The patient journey requires it. Uh, there are financial incentives for a health system, no-show rates, uh, value-based care arrangements that would say you don't want somebody to not present, especially for behavioral health, where it can um, it can escalate quickly and it's hard to diagnose. It's not a blood pressure or not something you can measure in a traditional biometric sense. So I'm hearing loud and clear from health system leaders across the country of all uh, service lines, CFO, CEO, uh, oncology, in addition to the head of behavioral health, that a true fully integrated virtual and physical environment uh, is required for success. Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree. I love how you said it's essential to a patient's health journey. Um, and I, I agree. I think even those hospitals and health systems that I'm not trying to do telehealth definitely know that it's coming. Um, the next thing I wanted to ask you is how can leveraging virtual behavioral health care help health systems integrate beha behavioral health services across their patient journeys? You know, we, we, we've heard consistently that the patient request for virtual encounters in behavioral health has maintained a COVID level of demand. All other service lines has returned roughly to the pre-COVID utilization rate of virtual. So we should take away that the patient journey is best served by meeting the patient where they are in behavioral health. But we don't need biometrics. We don't need labs except in prescribing. And so it's a successful encounter modality, virtual, as is physical, and it can effectively close time and distance gaps, not just in, you know, Texas, here where I am, it's a huge state, uh, could be in New Hampshire, could be in Rhode Island, super dense Manhattan, and we all live our lives, and it's hard to fit in clinical encounters of all kinds. So, you know, I would say that very clearly the patient is speaking, they're voting with their feet, and from a health system perspective and a provider perspective, Maintaining patient continuity can be served by having a virtual and a physical option available. Virtual can be turned on in an instant, if you will. If it's present and it's been mapped and it's integrated, you can move me from a physical encounter to a virtual encounter. If I just can't get across town, I can't get out of my meeting, I can switch modalities on my phone. Safe, it's HIPAA compliant, it's effective in behavioral health. So it is really, uh, it, as we all think about cost, in addition to the, the quadruple aim, it can also deliver a substantial lift to the bottom line, which all health systems need right now. It's a very tough environment, operating environment for health systems and for physicians. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing uh, 
that fact that virtual health is not dropped ever after COVID-19. Uh, I think that definitely says a lot. Can you share some examples of how, how hospitals have successfully adjusted their strategy to better meet the behavioral health needs of their community? Yes. And, you know, Mariah, yeah, you're in New York and I'm in Dallas. And so you would clearly say that the patient journey is very different. Therefore, Montefiore uh, uh, would have a different strategy than uh, Texas Health Resources, large health system down here. Uh, they really don't. And, and the nice thing about virtual care is that it can evolve with your physical strategy. And so I'll give you two examples. Uh, the most common scenario for a health system is that the referral queue coming from primary care is a four to six month wait. It's just not acceptable for anybody. The health system, the payer, the patient, their family. Uh, there's nothing about the quadruple aim that is served by a four to six month wait for any specialty, but you know, directly behavioral health. Uh, so th the ability to reduce and you know drive the referral queue to an acceptable level can easily be a six month to nine month project for a virtual care strategy. And so once that's done, you say, great, now I have 3,000 encounters instead of 20 waiting. Well, I can manage 3,000 as a health system. Okay, that's great. So what do you do with the clinicians that have been working on this backlog of 15,000? You move them downstream. You move them into the outpatient when somebody no-shows. You have an on-demand pod or seven-day, 30-day. You know, star ratings just got released. Every payer in the world is feeling pain associated with their behavioral health achievement of a seven-day or 30-day follow-up. How is that possible when you have excess physician capacity in behavioral health? Well, you don't if you're 100% you're physical, but you could if it were virtual. You can fractionally allocate a medical group if it's part of your overall strategy. So I'm not advocating that you outsource that, and I'm not advocating that you insource it. I'm advocating that it has to be part of the design of your, your strategy as a service line leader. It can deliver profitable, high-quality patient encounters. And so that's really, I think, the, the goal that we should all be focused on uh, much as the stigma associated with behavioral health has dropped, you know, during the COVID and post-COVID period of time, the stigma associated with virtual is dropping. I mean, Iris won't be called Iris Telehealth. There will be no telehealth in three to four years. It'll just be health, right? Because we're all virtually speaking, whether we know it or not, and tele is not a different thing. So that, that's that's the exciting part. I mean, I really do have great optimism for us as as humans that we can bring care to us as opposed to us stopping our lives and driving however many miles, blocking off our calendar, managing you know, family daycare, taking care of my dogs while I go get a check checkup of any kind. And behavioral health uh, is, the research is very clear that the, the quality of the encounter virtually can match the physical encounter. So it's just really a, another tool and toolkit for a health system. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I, you are definitely right. I definitely thought that uh, the patient journey will be different depending on where we are, but you made a lot of good points on how they are similar. Um, for you, how do you see behavioral health fitting into the value-based care strategies for health systems? Yeah, virtual behavioral health is the secret weapon for anybody carrying risk, clearly. And it's, it's poorly understood. I mean, risk in Behavioral health is hard. It's usually carved out 
The software that's deployed in a health system usually carves out behavioral health for a lot of reasons we, we won't go into. But when, when somebody says that they're carrying risk for, say, me, you know, anybody with a behavioral health uh, challenge has 2.2 higher total cost of care than anybody who does not. And, and so if you think about it, in any quartile, the highest quartile of total medical expense to the lowest quartile, half of each of those quartiles, the high end of that quartile would be people that have some mental health challenge in their lives. And we're just starting to understand that. We're just, you know, we, we've we started to go virtual for cardiology and for every other care pathway for chronic disease. But the persistent unaddressed issue for value-based care is behavioral health. And you just can't meet all of us where we are. 350 million people spread across the country with COVID. We just got released to the wild, you know, we're working in New York from Idaho, right? So value-based care requires a very aggressive, uh, innovative behavioral health strategy. It doesn't mean it's expensive or that it's heavy. It doesn't mean that. But virtual allows the dexterity in a value-based care arrangement that every payer and every health system that carries risk would want. You can move clinicians in the click of a button, if you will, from Idaho to Montana to Arizona. And so uh, I, I am having a, a large number of conversations with people who are you know, managing value-based care risk on how they address behavioral health. And I really do think that we will look back over the next two years, you know, in 2030, I believe the stat is that 70% uh, of all of us will be in some form of a value-based care arrangement, you know, per CMS, 70%, huge number. And virtual has to be part of that. Otherwise the economics will never work. And it is in other modalities we're catching up in behavioral health. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for sharing that statistic. And Andy, before I let you go, the last thing I wanted to ask you is what role do you think virtual care plays in the future of behavioral health care? Yeah, it, you know, we're learning so much. You know, you have psychedelics, uh, you have neuroscience catching up and starting to participate. We have AI starting to listen to my voice. And, you know, none of these are going to solve the problem. None of these are going to in individually going to solve the problem. But just as research in behavioral health has been low, innovation in behavioral health has been low historically. And with uh, a lot of the reimbursement um, levers being pulled by CMS and the economics we just discussed around value-based care, uh, I think that we're going to see virtual care become, you know, kind of the bedrock of behavioral health. And it's the one thing that you can commonly count on as opposed to I'm on vacation, I'm in New York, I'm business, I'm in Japan, I travel all over the world and I can always rely on, on a virtual experience. So I, I just feel like, you know, we're seeing the beginning of integration. We're talking about it. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm just excited to be, somewhere in the periphery uh, involved in this evolution for our industry. Yeah, absolutely. Andy, thank you so much for joining me today for this discussion. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you. And I'd also like to thank our sponsor, Iris Telehealth. You can tune into more podcasts and virtual events from Becker's Healthcare by visiting beckershospitalreview.com. Thank you again, Andy. Thank you, Mariah.